it's also the thing you have to think about everyone says well god's first and then your family and i agree with that but it needs to be god and your spouse mm-hmm. and then your kids and then everyone and everything else falls in after that 100 percent. because too many people nowadays with the divorce rate being so high worry about the family but really it's the kids your kids are important yes your kids are highly important because you are everything for that kid's survival and everything that child will become but your kid's gonna grow up and move out of the house if you've spent your entire time focused on that child what do you and your spouse have left at the end of the day when they're gone and you have to be with each other and you realize well i've never grown with this person i don't even know who this person is anymore What is going on, guys? Dr. Jared Nelson in this house, the podcast, The Better Man, where you can never be perfect, but you can always be better. Today, we have a very special guest with us, somebody, uh, friends of a lot of people already been on the podcast. we got an awesome fella in here, Joshua Tyler Gray. What's going on, man? How's it going, man? All right. Yeah, I'm excited about it, man. We got a family. Uh, You are a husband, a father. We got mental health. We got old drumline stories. We're going to get into a lot of stuff. I'm excited about it, man. So I start everybody with this. You're in the gym. You're chilling. The introduction. (laughs) Somebody somebody sees you and they said, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where do I know you from, dude? What would you say? Currently working at Gadsden Music. Born and raised in the Southside Gadsden area. Also been teaching drumline since I guess 2014 when I graduated. Yeah, you've been, been doing teaching it a long since time. then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool stuff, man. Well, yeah, so you're uh, doing the Southside Drumline now. Mm-hmm. We had guys on uh, episode 22. Had a lot of the Drumline guys on. That'll come out uh, eventually. And yeah. uh, had a lot of the Southside Drumline guys on. So kind of a background for this episode. Uh, you're currently the Southside Drumline instructor. We'll start with that really quickly. How has the Drumline teaching been? uh what's your experience been like there man biggest thing it's rewarding it's inspirational it's one of those things where kind of like also being a father it mm-hmm. makes you feel old but it keeps you young at the same time mm-hmm. but it's just always moving in some way mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i know being there uh it's kind of like you relive it almost you get to relive it through oh, yeah. other kids and all that that's that's pretty neat that you get to do that especially being back with the home team like all the other places i've taught it still has the same feeling but right. once like marching and going to high school at south side and then coming back to do it where i came from it was almost like reliving it at times and seeing the correlation between when i was there and how these kids are now it's like these kids are the same, but it's so different at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You said these kids are the same. I've said a lot on the podcast, kids now are different. But you you said they're kind of, it's kind of like you're reliving it. Uh, what have you seen from kids now, man? What would you say about the kids today? Things are are very different in a certain aspect. But at the same time, the way they behave, seeing the way you and your friends acted when you were juniors and then you got to be seniors together and seeing how a group acts the same way. They right. might have a little different way of doing it, but they are very much the same in how they see each other in camaraderie and what they're doing as a group at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Well, cool. We'll talk about Drumline a little later. That was a little intro. We'll get into that. But I want to talk about fatherhood and marriage. That's the first thing, kind of the bulk of the podcast. I think this one's going to be about because uh, you are a husband and mm-hmm. a father, and there's a lot of stuff I want to go through on that. Um, so the first question I want to ask, does fatherhood 
being a father when you first saw your child we'll start with this uh you have a child how old is your child now actually she will be two on thursday that's crazy man. she will be two yeah seems like yesterday and another on the way another on the way yeah congratulations man that's awesome that's awesome so when you saw your baby for the first time do you feel like there was a moment something where uh where fatherhood changed you because i think a lot of people say that when they become a father it kind of shifts everything into high gear this may be a hot take for some people and i could just be different and that's perfectly fine everyone is different. different it's all right but it fatherhood and marriage were kind of the same thing for me where it's like people think i held my baby for the first time and everything changed and it did everything became real but it's constantly moving and adapting and finding where your role is and having that appreciation for that child mm-hmm. and holding them up and like having this sense of being a father it's it, w- it was not immediate same thing when i got married it's like well you you signed your paperwork the court has it now well now you've had your big ceremony and your big party it it did but it didn't it's the constant evolving and moving through that life together with my wife for our marriage but also my wife and my child and us all constantly moving and adapting to what the new thing is Mm -hmm. you grow together right and that growth is huge excuse me you know that's what i would think there's probably milestones like you hit certain things even mentally whatever where you're like man this is uh this is pretty awesome i'm I'm, i know marriage is like that i'm sure Yeah. yeah and having a child as well living together versus marriage how a lot of people talk about this all the time where people live together and they, and they they tell them you know like when you get married it's different would you say it's different or is there a lot of similarities between the two well me and my wife we lived together before we got married and i know mm-hmm. a lot of people frown on that but we felt like well where we were at in life it made the most sense we were engaged getting ready to be married but it also opened up our eyes a lot to how the other person lives, what their habits are, what they like and don't like. So to a part of it, we were already adjusting and having to make those moves before we got married. Right. So therefore, when we got married, we were still having to do all those things, but it became a, more of a process than just, well, you're here, you're going to figure it out now. You know, I think it's easy to say that a lot of people that say that are like 60s, 70s, grew up in that, that era. Yeah. You could buy a house uh, working part-time, you know, during that Dang. time. Yeah. I mean, literally, you could. Nice. Now, um, you know, the cost of things and all that is, and a lot of people argue that to where it's like the cost of things are so expensive, mm-hmm. you know, living together almost is the only way to survive. I mean, most people, I don't know many people in their 20s that can live alone by themselves, no parental support, no parental help just one income i mean that's almost impossible oh i know very few people who are at the age that i or even we are at who can fully say yeah if i didn't if i wasn't married i could have the exact same life i have now with the exact same house and everything else like i don't Mm. know very many people who could i know Mm. me and my wife if we weren't together right now we do okay Mm -hmm. but we couldn't have all the things that we have together without the other one right Right. Yeah, that joint income and marriage is huge, man. It really is. But I think that's a lot of where that rub comes in from a lot of people. It's like, and and you know, obviously you don't get married for money. You don't do that. It's nah. like you can, that's not really a great idea. Kind of frowned upon. Uh, some people do it though, but I think it's kind of not, frowned upon. Not the worst um, idea. Not the greatest yeah, idea either. Yeah, yeah. Survival, the, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But, um, 
So living together versus marriage, uh, people that frown upon that, what would you say to those people? That's fine. It, I'm a big proponent of it is your life to live. You need to be happy with yourself at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. In this situation, your partner, your spouse, whoever it is, they have to be happy with it too. If right. other people look at it a certain way, if you can be like, hey, it's our life. This is what we're doing. That We're going to be okay with this. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the individual, man. It's just your, if, if two people are adults, over 18 consenting adults, and they decide, hey, this is what we're going to do, that's the decision. You know, yeah. I don't think people should get backlash for that and all that. But there's a lot of parental interference from a lot of people and all that that really overstep, mm-hmm. I feel like. But I think they might think they're trying to help and try to help. And all, But I think some of that overstepping really kind of harms people in the long run, in my opinion. Well, even in another big thing that I would say probably helped us some, because when we moved in together, by the time we got married, I just finished school, which we were already living together. I was finishing up school. I was working full time to help provide for both of us, get my wife through nursing school. We had a two bedroom apartment. I know a lot of people are like, well, that's more money and it is, but we were also able to have our own space mm-hmm. and do those things and slowly adjust to each other, not just dive head deep. Yeah. Adjusting to each other is huge. And a lot of people argue that, that say that's a good thing because mm-hmm. it's like you, you, some people get married and they're like, what have I done? Like, you know, you go home and you live with them for a couple of days and you're like, this is not who, what I thought this was going to be. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And that was our big thing. We know other people who <clears throat> felt the same way of, well, I want to live together. I don't want to live with this person until we're married. It's like, okay, but you're at, you asked us why we did. And this is why we were able to adjust and figure out the other one. There are plenty of people who, once they get married and they get thrown into the fire, they can't handle it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real deal. But I think either way, all to say, uh, my opinion is it's the individual. I mean, if two consenting adults say they want to do it, they do it, man. Yeah. So that's all about what it is. Um, is the first year of marriage the hardest? Some people say that. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think every marriage obviously goes through seasons and all that. I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was in Orange Beach, Alabama on a, uh, what is that thing where they, they, propel you up in the air and they take you out on a boat and you're on a string and all that. Parasailing. Parasailing. And uh, there was a newlywed couple there mm-hmm. and uh, my mom was sitting beside us and she she just, uh, they said, yeah, we just got married and all that. She said, the first year's the hardest. I'll never forget that. So that's why I wrote this down. In your opinion, I've uh, been married for how many years now? This year will be year four. Year four. Uh, year one. Was it the hardest do you feel in your marriage? Yes and no. You're still adjusting to each other. You're still trying to figure each other out. Part of it is, it's like people say, constantly date your spouse and everything like that. And it's true, but it's also, well, life gets in the way. You also have to learn to settle for things and do things that's going to be best for the household, not necessarily yourselves. Where it's, well, we want to go on a date. We do, but we also have this coming up we need to pay for. Mm -hmm. We have this stuff going on the house. Let's just stay in so we can take care of things around here instead. Mm-hmm. So there's a part where it's like, yeah, the first year is the hardest, but you also realize you're also changing with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the growth, you know, during that time, especially now. What? When did you get married? What age were uh, you? I'm gonna put you on the spot. 
Well, oh, I know when not, you got married because I was. <laughs> it's not the age; it's when I got married. Uh, yeah, in the, in the start of COVID, that was the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was a start. So your relationship was how long until marriage? How long did y'all date until marriage? A good while, right? We started dating in 2012. I was a junior in high school. She was a freshman in high school. Wow. We started dating, and then we got married in 2020. It can work, folks. If you're my, if you stick to it, it can work. That's I'm awesome. The high school relationships can work as long as you realize this is a person I want to be with and you're yeah. willing to work with each other. Yeah. It's a decision. I mean, really, it's just a decision uh, and sticking to that. That's really what relationships are all about. Um, so your relationship total, y'all been together 11 years, man. 11 years? I helped you on the math. Yeah. Won't, won't get you in trouble on that one. Um, well, I guess, oh, I guess this year will be 12 years. Yeah, yeah. So now, so y'all met in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, junior, freshman, all that have been together ever since. But there's online dating out there now, man. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff out there. Uh, what's your opinion on online dating? People that meet that way, I think it's great. I mean, people have been doing it for years before we had things like Tinder and Bumble. Mm-hmm. People were meeting up in chat rooms and like, That's hey, true. let's go Aim. on a date. Hey, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, people have been doing this for years. It's just the game of it's changed now. To where instead of meeting up in a chat room with, hey, we have these common interests, we're talking, oh, let's go on a date. It's now, when you ever look at Tinder Mobile, it's very much set up like a game for your phone. And I feel like that's where people find it more addictive to be around and constantly do those things because it's specifically made to be addictive. Mm-hmm. Which on the business aspect, smart, good for them. Common person. Maybe not the best way to actually find a true connection, but it can happen. Mm, well, it's very vain. I mean, you're doing it just just off looks. I mean, yeah. literally, that's it. Uh, you got a profile, but people lie on that and all that. It's pretty much off looks. So people say that you get matched with people that you will not stay with, so you will stay on the dating platform, right? Do oh, you yeah. think? Do you think that's true? Because that's kind of a hot take, like, to explain, they want you to be a customer, right? You pay, yes. like, a monthly fee for the app or whatever. So if you get matched with somebody and they, they know, they say you're a match together, mm-hmm. but they know you're not going to stay together, you're going to come back to the dating platform. So they would benefit from that. I would believe that's true, but it's also the idea of, is this really meant to date and find your forever person, or is it meant to be part of the hookup culture now? Mm-hmm. You got to split the hairs of what you're actually doing. I feel like to a point that partly the person's age, but partly what you're looking for, it's going to determine probably what dating app or dating service you're going to be using. It's true. It's true. And I think you find a little bit of everything on all, all of them. Honestly, that's just oh, yeah. the way the dating app is. But what do you feel about, uh, you know, hookup culture now and all that kind of a, it's, it's just such a different world from us, like in high school and all that. Now it's just such a different world. I feel like, Oh yeah. Like the hookup culture now, it's so out of whack. Well, nothing's new under the, the sun. World. This nothing's this has happened new. forever, but oh, yeah. I feel like that the apps and stuff have just skyrocketed. This it's made us the ease of access. Just like people talking about, like our parents say, just like these young people nowadays doing all this stuff. It's like we all were doing this back in the seventies and eighties. Right. It was no different then. It's just how people are meeting, and to a point, people are just more open to talk about it. I think when it's people, not changing that much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really not. Nothing's new under the sun. I think people, when older people say that, like all oh, these kids nowadays, I think it makes them feel better. I think it's like somehow oh, it does. You're, you can turn away from the things you did. Like, 
Yeah. Well, these kids nowadays are doing yeah, this. Yeah, I like, didn't do this. Well, Paul, didn't you say you went and did this kind of stuff back in the day? No, nope, wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it gives them kind of a pass to, yeah. to say that stuff. I think that's kind of where that comes from. Good stuff, man. So, uh, been married for some time, been in a relationship for 11 years, we already established. Handling conflict. So, conflict, obviously, in relationships. I've been in relationships. Uh, I'm in one now. Very happy relationship. But conflict's going to arise. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your opinion, what is the best way to handle conflict? Let me start off first by saying anyone who idolizes others saying, well, they have the perfect relationship. They never argue and they never do this. Their relationship is not perfect in any means. 100%. Either someone's a pushover. Yes. Or their relationship is dead either on one side or on both. And I'll talk about this. There's a certain point where I try not to talk about private business but it's also well if it's my life and i'm involved with it i have every right to talk about sure, it sure sure it might have been we were talking about first year of marriage it might have been right at the end of our first or sometime in our second year of marriage it got to the point where i would have issues with this i'd want to talk about it or something and my wife just be like okay and it got to where i'm like we're gonna sit down we're gonna argue she's like you really want to argue about this yes Yes, I do, because mm-hmm. we have to constantly work each other. We have to acknowledge these things in relationships and say, this is what's bothering me. This is why it bothers me. And we actually have to sit down, talk about it, and come to a resolution and move on from things. If you're not, I'm not saying every relationship is, needs to sit there and be a dog fight the whole time. Right. But if you're not willing to sit down and argue and actually have these kind of conflicts to come to a resolution, you're never going to move anywhere. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, relationships sometimes take a turn 20, 30 years in, and one side is like, I've I've felt alone. I've never been loved in this marriage and stuff like that. But it's kind of because you never stood for yourself. Never stood for yourself, and you never tried to come to things you just accepted it for what it was right and there is a level of that i think in relationships you have to pick your battles accept things entirely but both sides have a uh, responsibility Mm -hmm. to talk to each other say this is what i need this is this makes me feel safe this is what i think things should be um and if both sides aren't open to that there's going to be issues uh but i think the pushover thing i think that's a very common thing in a lot of relationships yeah and you definitely have to learn to pick and choose your battles some things hey just let it go well maybe it's a day where your partner isn't hasn't been on they've had a rough time at work or whatever it is just let it go yeah you have to definitely pick and choose your battles but you can't just let it be dead in the water either and not come to a resolution but i think emotion kind of takes a lot of people over if you can take that out and that's so hard to do in the moment like when emotion hits you it's it's near impossible but it is doable yeah if you can take the emotion out and look at your partner wife husband whatever and say and think about why you marry them or why you're with them Mm -hmm. you know this is a difficult time but i love them i love their good qualities i love everything about them and all that um i think you're going to have a lot better of an outcome it's always the thing of you need to stay true to yourself as an individual but you also have to make sacrifices for your other partner. Mm-hmm. It's not always about me. It's not always about my wife. The ultimate goal is us, but I'm still me as an individual. Right. And if something bothers me, I'm going to bring it up so we can talk about it. We can get over it. We can like constantly trying to work on, oh, I, I know this bothers him. I'm not going to do this. Well, I know this makes her upset, so I'm going to do this for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think where it gets out of hand, though, is yelling and all that. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of that, honestly. No, no, no. To me, if it gets to that point, this lost anyway. Yeah. Like, if it, you know, that means somebody is not listening. Yes. Not, not always. I think people yell for something for other reasons. But if you have to yell to get your point across, the conversation isn't really worth having, in my opinion. Well, at that point, and I say argument, not in the sense of you're going to have a drag out right. fight, scream a match with each other, but in the sense of, yeah, once you start yelling to that point, you're never going to get anything across. Your next goal is to to try and calm down and be done with this. You didn't get over anything. You didn't learn anything about the other one. You're just trying to get over it and move on and be done with the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in times like that where it gets heated, do you walk away? What's kind of your go-to? Yes, but not in the sense of she's in the middle of talking. I just turn around and go out. Right. It turns into if I'm yelling or if she's yelling, which we've gotten better about yet again. Part of growing in your marriage is learning to stop yourself at times, but it's, I just need a minute. Mm-hmm. We can talk about this later. I, I just need a minute and walk away. So that way you try and not say something that's going to hurt the other one's feelings mm-hmm. for no reason. And let those emotions die down. Like I yeah. said, you know, take kind of get the emotion out of it because that's why you say things you don't mean because yeah. the emotion just takes you over and all I that. I agree. But if you're able to take yourself out of that, I think that's good. You know, I think for men, uh, in disagreements, mm-hmm. no, normal people's default is to run, right? Not everybody, but I think it's common for a lot of people just to run away, escape it, you know, be away from it and all that. But I think if a woman has a disagreement with you and you're able to sit there in that discomfort and listen and take it in and all that, uh, it builds trust there for a woman. Um, I, think, I think that's a huge deal. Major trust, but then also sometimes they just get taken back of, oh, he didn't just sit there and want to storm off or just yell back. He actually sat and listened. Mm-hmm. Just being able to sit and listen is a big thing. Yeah. Most people, everyone says like, just learn to listen. You have to talk, but you need to start, sit and learn to listen too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that came from, but somebody said that. Oh, yeah. If you said it, uh, comment down below. We'll hear about that. <laughs> um, is having a child young a good thing? now? Your two-year-old was a surprise. Is that right? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay, well, we'll leave it that. We'll more, leave that great. <laughs> it was more so like, hey, let's start. Let's start thinking about having kids, and and then well, there it just one. happened. Yeah, yeah. Imagine. So it wasn't an entire surprise, but it wasn't planned out either. Right. Okay. So uh, you had a child when you were twenty-seven, twenty. Six? I guess I would have, yeah, I would have just turned 26. Okay. So a lot of people vouch for live your life when you're young, have your kids when you're older. You know, a lot of people vouch for that. I don't agree with that. Uh, do you think having a child young is a good thing? Can be for the person. Now, I'm not vouching for anyone starting to pop out kids when they're 18, 19. You still got, you're still figuring out how you are as a person. Yeah. But like, how old were your parents when they had you and Jess? Uh, my dad was forty-one, and my mom was twenty-nine. Yeah, yeah. So my dad was forty-one. That, that was, which that's pretty old. But anyway, but just think about all the stuff as you got older and you could start doing as a teenager. Maybe your parents were good enough still and still had enough energy in them to do those things with you, or especially when you became an adult and you could do adult activities together as a parent and child Mm -hmm. well i can do those things once my kid gets older and they become 
a teenager, I'm still hopefully like, I'll still be young enough, but hopefully I'm still going to be good enough. Like, yeah, let's go do this. Yeah. I'm going to go help you do that. When they become an adult in college or even older, well, I'm going to be around for grandkids. Hopefully I'm going to be able to do these things because I was younger. I'm going to grow, but I'm going to be able to be there for my child in their entirety of life mm-hmm. and still be able to participate fully. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people argue that is the age like thing. Like, can you keep up with your kids? Yeah. Um, you know, I think about that. I'm 31, don't have children yet, but I think about that and having kids like the longer, you know, I think there's kind of a sweet spot there. Once yeah. you probably get in your fifties and you got young ones, that's, that's probably pretty rough as far as a man to get around and all that. Not as, uh, not as much energy to keep up with them all that and to me that's where you also split off people always say well if you wait to have kids to when you can afford them you'll never have kids mm-hmm. but if you have kids when you're not ready then that's a world when no one's going to be ready for yeah there's a balance for sure but when are you going to what is the what is the cutoff to be ready you know like to have a child is there a certain point in your life like okay this is it i don't think there really is a cutoff no it's when you are you and I guess in this case, you and your spouse are mm-hmm. set up. Supposed to be. You're, well, you're, well, yeah, but like you're set up together where it's like, I have a stable job. May not be the job I want, but I have a stable job. We're doing things together where it's, all right, we have an addition. It's okay. You still haven't settled in to something. You're still like moving around every other year. You have a wildlife of fun. Mm-hmm. That's great. But maybe your lifestyle for what you're ready to do isn't suited for a child yet either mm-hmm. like we were at the point where it's like we're settled down we're getting careers started we're getting a home together and things like that to where we've settled we're not going out and trying to do all these fun wild things anymore right. i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that it's just what point in life are you comfortable to be like i can be at home now i can come home at the end of the work day and be with my family i'm not worried about other things yeah but i think everybody's desires too are different some people have that cut off at 20 years old like i'm done i'm done searching i'm good i'm good right here i'm ready to settle down and all that yeah uh but that's why i think it's an individual thing i think you need to get advice from your parents on things and all that but don't let other people live their life through you yes. that's that's a big point i think uh and parents have good intentions mm-hmm. uh but i think you know you're an individual you need to set your own goals with your partner or by yourself or whatever you need to do um, and make decisions for yourself on when you're ready. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I was never like, all right, I'm, I'm getting married at this age. I will have kids by this age. I'll have my next kid at this age and move on. Blah, blah. It was never that it was, Hey, I think this is where I'm at in life and that's going to be my next step. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just waiting on God's timing. Yeah. Like maybe God would have decided, Hey, I don't think you're ready for this child yet. Yeah. That would have been fun. Mm-hmm. trial by fire man yeah. that happened pretty quick yeah. <laughs> that's awesome man but that's the way it was destined to be uh how to find the one so there's a lot of obviously we talked about dating apps and all that if you were talking to well if you were talking to one of your band kids that's kind of early 20s now mm-hmm. and they came to you and they were like how do i find a wife in today's age how would you guide them on that first thing is you can't force it Mm-hmm. you force it it's not going to turn out good the other thing is <laughs> but part of it's also <clears throat> what are you willing to sacrifice everyone has their own issues everyone has their ups everyone has their downs when you were with someone 
do you think, man, this is too much. I'm not doing this. I'm out. Or do you think, how can I help? Am I, am I willing to make compromises to get things to be better? You have to be willing to make compromises. And that's what the biggest thing I found in my wife. I mean, yeah, we started dating in high school, but it, it was always different than other girls I had dated to where it was like, yeah, I'm willing, I'm willing to do things different. I'm willing to hold myself up to a better standard for her. Well, she's not happy that I do this. It was probably not the best thing. I'm willing to compromise. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to do things to make her happy, make sure that we can be okay with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know how rare that is for a man to do. I don't think a lot of like, you know, obviously nagging is bad from a woman and all that. Nobody wants to be nagged, but, uh, to listen to your wife and say, I see this makes you uncomfortable. You know, I can let this go. Yeah. You know, I don't know how common really that is that, that men do that. I give you a little praise on that. That's pretty awesome, man. Well, it's like some of the kids I even have now and they're not early twenties. They're still in high school, but they talk about, well, she, my girlfriend, she does this and I'm just not comfortable. I'm like, well, does does she know you're not comfortable with right. this? Well, I've talked about it before. I'm like, well, there's a certain point where you have to hold yourself to a certain standard, but you also have to hold your relationship to certain standards. If there are things you're not willing to bend and break on, then you need to let those things be known and stand up for yourself and hold yourself to that standard for your relationship. So that way, when you get into another one, hey, this is going on. I'm not okay with it. This is, this is a breaking point for me. Mm-hmm. And when you tell them that and they're like, okay, that, that's something I'm willing to give up. Then you keep going. If that person says, well, I'm not giving this up for you. It's not worth it. Yeah. Well, that's boundaries. Yeah. And, and just having those for yourself and the self-respect is huge. Um, <clears throat> especially, you know, and, and that's the thing. If you have a boundary with somebody that really cares about you and really wants the relationship, unless it's just something crazy, uh, maybe you need therapy on that. A uh, couple's therapy. If it's something, oh, yeah. you know, absolutely outlandish. But if it's just basic things, like I feel disrespected when this happens, or if you just simply communicate that mm-hmm. and that other person can't turn away from that, you know, behavior is a language. I watch Dr. Deloney all the time. He says that all the time, but it's true. Look at what people do. If you clearly communicate something, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this, all that. And they continue to do that. Behavior is a language. You know, they're ch- choosing to tell you yeah. by their behavior. I don't respect you. Exactly. And that's my thing of holding yourself and your relationship to standards. If that person's not willing to meet those standards with you, then it's, it may be time to move on, or at least it's time to reevaluate how much this relationship is really going to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Now, I know plenty of people talk about high schoolers dating. It's like, oh, you're in high school. You don't need to be dating. You don't need to tie yourself down. I, I agree and understand that to a certain point as someone who married their high school sweetheart. But you're also not here to jerk people around and things like that, or like waste someone else's time either. Right. You still have to think those things of, if you're going to be in a committed relationship, are you committed to this person to see, is this a potential wife? Or are we going to, are we willing to grow together? Or is it, we're just doing this for fun. And to a point, those things need to be drawn out at the beginning. Mm. If you're just there to be casual, that's fine. As long as everyone's on board with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think a lot of people... I don't, they get in relationships without a plan. Oh yeah. Like, you know, when you date somebody, figuring somebody out for a month or two, what, I mean, you know, you don't get that serious. I think just let it unfold. Yeah. But if you're six months, a year in, like have a conversation, like what, this is kind of the plan I have. I really like you and all that. This is unfolding really well and all that. I think a lot of people don't just sit in and have that conversation. And I think that's kind of where the rub is there. Yeah. And it's the same thing of like, 
well, what are your plans in life? Well, are you wanting to like move off to some big city while this other person is wanting to stay in the hometown? Right. Or are you wanting to do careers that are going to take you in a complete opposite directions? Mm -hmm. If those are things you're willing to work with each other on and meet in the middle and do those things, that's great. But if it's like, this is my life plan, that's the end of it. Well, maybe you need to find another person who's going to do those life adventures with you or what you want also. Yeah. And some people are okay with giving that up. Yeah. You know, if you say, hey, I want to do this, and they're like, cool. But I think uh, some people have those decisions, you know, and then somebody even might agree to it and be uncomfortable with it and then go along with it. And then you see years down the road, it's like, I never even wanted to be here. Yeah. You know, that, that happens too. It's kind of an unfortunate thing. It's also the thing you have to think about. Everyone says, well, God's first and then your family. And I agree with that, but it needs to be God and your spouse mm-hmm. and then your kids. And then everyone and everything else falls in after that. hundred percent. Because too many people nowadays with the divorce rate being so high, worry about, the family, but really it's the kids. Your kids are important. Yes. Your kids are highly important because you are everything for that kid's survival and everything that child will become. But your kid's going to grow up and move out of the house. If you've spent your entire time focused on that child, what do you and your spouse have left at the end of the day when they're gone and you have to be with each other and you realize, well, I've never grown with this person. I don't even know who this person is anymore. You have to work with your spouse first. Keep your kids there as that close, close behind because they're going to follow you. But you're also the example of what they need in relationship. My kid's eventually going to grow up, hopefully get married, have a family of her own. Mm-hmm. Well, she'll have her own family. But I still need to be committed to my wife and us have a life together and continue growing in our relationship to continue on because that's the person I chose. Right. I think you see that a lot, man. I think you see uh, they get too focused on the kids, you know, and obviously I've never had children. I can't speak for that. I can't say what that is, but, um, and kids aren't supposed to carry that weight. No. The weight, and they feel that. I don't think, like, parents are like, I I just treated you well. You know, they'll say to kids when they grow up and all that. I gave you this. I gave you that. You always had the argument back with your parents. I didn't ask to be here. And you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. My child didn't ask to be there, so I need to do the best I can for my child to prepare them for life, but I did choose my spouse. That's a good point. That's a good point. But you see that a lot uh, in parents, they, they grow apart, too focused on the children. The children are, are vital, important. They're your kids. You got to yeah. take care of them and all that. But it is the design. Uh, you mentioned the God. It's kind of like the umbrella thing, the diagram yeah. of God and then spouse, kids and all that. That's the real thing. Some people put a family and stuff up there gets it all messed up in my opinion but uh but yeah but i think the order of things is very very important so kids today um the dating world stuff out there what would you say to them overall and what if you could say one sentence and how to find a partner what should you look for what would you say look for someone with compassion Mm. strong-willed but compassion if that person is not going to give you anything at the end of the day, like I said, it's about compromise. You have to be true to yourself and compromise for the other one, but they have no compassion. They're never going to compromise for you. They're not going to compromise for anything. They have to have compassion for themselves to forgive each other, forgive themselves and be able to actually move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of self-centeredness, uh, heard from a lot of preachers, church of the Highlands, uh, mm-hmm 
preacher. He he preached on that before. How uh, the times are like that, man. There's a lot of self centeredness. Just people, they don't give a lot. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's just all about me. And I think culture has kind of made us that way. Just if you can find a woman like that, um, I know you have. I feel like I have. That's a gym, man. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think probably the closest thing that also goes with that compassion is loyalty. Yeah. And obviously, I'm I in no way endorse anyone stepping out on their spouse or anything like that. But mm-hmm. having a loyalty to back up your partner, back up your kids, stand up for them, mm-hmm. do those things. Having yeah. loyalty, but that that completely comes out of the compassion that they have for you. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Well said, man. Absolutely. Uh. Are soulmates real? Do you feel like in, you know, we grew up Disney and all that. We grew up in the 90s where, you know, the Prince Charming sitting there in the castle and all that. Do you feel like soulmates, like there's one person destined for everybody? Do you think that's real? You know, I'm really not sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like my wife is my soulmate, but there are plenty of people who think, well, this was, this is my soulmate. No matter what they do, I have to be with them. And that's not always the case either. Yeah. Sometimes you you feel that connection, but that person doesn't have that connection with you either. So the word soulmate necessarily, I wouldn't say so. I would say there is someone for everyone, mm-hmm. but there's someone God chose for you. But that person for everyone is the person that chooses you. You chose each other. Right, right. And I think that's it. I don't really think soulmates, I think it's Disney, man. I don't think it's a real thing. I, I think the know. people that need to be together are two people choosing to be together with each other. Yeah. I don't like the, as big as fan of Disney, like the stories and that kind of stuff. Well, I love seeing it, but tangled man, probably my favorite actual thing of a soulmate. Nah. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's one person forever. People would argue that though. Like my spouse, there's nobody else, but I think there's nobody else because y'all have chosen that together that there is nobody else. Yeah. And I don't think, after you go through those trials and tribulations together, you can't see yourself with anyone else because right. it's also the thing of, if I decided to leave my wife today, is there going to be another person who's willing to put up with my crap? Probably not. Yeah. So maybe there might be, but are they going to be willing to do all these things that she does to make me happy? Was she willing? Is this person going to be willing to go through all the stuff that I have to go through and help me get through it? Maybe not. Maybe right. you just end up getting in a cycle of people are just like, hey, I'm not going to deal with that. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good point. Very well said. Uh, should girls. And, well, I, I'll start with this in dating and in marriage. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about girls having guy friends? That's a big deal in the dating thing, especially the manosphere. They talk about that. Like if a girl talks to another guy ever, drop them, all that. Uh, we live in a world of men and women. I mean, there's just people everywhere. It is what it is. Uh, do you think women should have guy friends? Yes, but you do have to keep one eye open. Yeah. Not for the fact of, well, you're you're hanging out with this girl. Well, what if this and this happens? Well, I have to keep on myself and make sure those things don't happen. That's not her responsibility. That's my responsibility. Mm. But I can also... Maybe get a different perspective of something my wife is thinking by talking to, I hate using this word because it's like, I can say my guy friend, but yeah, my girlfriend, yeah, like my lady friend. Sure. That sounds worse, honestly. Sure. But it's the thing of, well, maybe I can get a different perspective from them. Well, maybe they're the ones who like, 
because even when I was picking out my wife's engagement ring to propose, well, I sat down with one of my roommates, girlfriends, now wives, and she helped me pick it out because she knew what my wife would like. Right. I think there's nothing wrong with it, but you also have to be mindful of where their place is in your life. And the same thing with guys and their guy friends. You have to be careful and pay attention to where that person is in your life and where they fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a, a girl that called into the Dr. Deloney show. I reference it often. And her boyfriend at the time, they dated for about half a year, I think, something like that. And he said, uh, there's something about this guy that you're hanging out with. I don't like it. I don't like it. But she was also going on hikes with like f- her and four guys at one time. She's in a relationship with a guy. Mm-hmm. has been for half a year. And uh, overall, her, I-, I think she was innocent. Her attitude was like, whatever. Um, and he, you know, she was like, fine, I won't hang out with that one guy. But she's still hanging out with all these other guys, right? Yeah. I think in a relationship, once the relationship gets serious, in my opinion, you kind of need to have the respect of the relationship and drop the opposite sex relationships. I'm not saying don't talk to him ever again, but like one-on-one meetings, going to coffee, stuff like that. That's mm. kind of weird. There's got to be something there. Like you can't, you can't tell me. You can't, at least from one side. Like you mentioned before in the relationship, somebody likes you, you don't like them. So yeah. There's something there, I feel like. Oh, yeah. And it's also the thing of kind of like we were saying, well, you're two consensual adults. Whatever you can be okay with is fine. But you also still have to think about what other people see and how it's going to make your spouse or your partner feel. That's true. Like before we were married, well, yeah, I'd be at the drumline house in Jacksonville. I'd be hanging out with my roommates. They might have been in class. Their girlfriend was over there. We're just hanging out in the living room. It's no big deal. Sure. But as I got older and we got married, it's not that I don't talk to those people anymore, but we're not going to meeting up and doing one-on-one stuff or anything like that either. Right. I think there's just a level of respect there. It all kind of oh, goes yeah. back to respect and all that. And like you said, people see that and they're like, that's kind of weird and all that. Um, you know, I think girls and guys, they can have mixed friends and all that, but there's just a level of respect, like hanging out one-on-one and stuff like that. Now, the manosphere will tell you, uh, you know, if a girl talks to another guy ever, you should drop them immediately. <laughs> it's almost toxic, all this stuff on TikTok and all that. But I think there's a balance. I have coworkers that are female. You know, my my girlfriend, she has coworkers that are male. Like, we have to communicate and talk and all that. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's, you kind of got to check yourself as a man there. Like, what is this about? Are, are you dealing with something internally? Is there something you need to deal with, reckon yeah. with yourself, or you're like over jealous and all that? I think that's a real thing, too. Well, it's like one thing I heard somebody say is they were a man and they were on an elevator by themselves, stops at a floor, a woman gets on, they're getting off. And I'm like, that that's extreme. Yeah. That's extreme. If you're not like planning to do something horrendous or whatever, it's like you're riding an elevator together. Right. I'm not, you're, you don't have to exile the other sex or the other people in your life. Right. But you have to be conscious of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a conscious thing. And I feel like we, we know when it gets weird, like yeah. when something gets weird, you know, if you're one on one with a coworker or whatever, like you, you understand that. And like I feel like the biggest thing about, our generation more so especially the younger ones like me though because we're both millennials i'm right there on the cutoff of it yeah but it's a big thing of not calling it out if you feel like hey we we're hanging out we're talking i think things are getting weird i'm gonna make a point to say things are getting uncomfortable 
this isn't okay. I don't like this anymore. We have to stop. Yeah. And I'm going to make my spouse fully aware of it. I haven't had to enter that situation, but it's the thing of everyone just be like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to try and ignore it. It's like, no, you have to stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And to a point, like you said, out of respect for your wife, for your spouse, you have to let them know this is exactly what happened. This is going on. And I put an into it. Right. Yeah. It's, it all goes back to respect. I think it all goes back yeah. in understanding where that line is that you cross and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, but I think especially in marriage, um, you might have boundaries. Uh, you may have things that you won't do, but that doesn't mean the other person mm-hmm. doesn't have the same boundaries as that as well. And I think that's something you got to watch out for. That's the thing of keeping one eye open. It's not the other person's responsibility. That's my responsibility for right. my relationship. Yeah. It's not going to affect the other person. It's going to affect me and it's going to affect my family. Yeah. And there's been situations where some people like they see happiness mm-hmm. and they get jealous of that. And so they want to ruin that. You know what I mean? Oh, entirely. I don't think that way, but I, I think that's weird. But uh, I know situations where people have said that. I've yeah. heard so many people on podcasts over time talk about the number one sought after man from a woman is a married man. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost psychological like, uh, oh, he, can, he, he can keep a woman. Like he knows how to keep a woman happy. See, I, I think it's that and also think it's just the innate thing of people of, oh, I can't have that. So I want it. Yeah. 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 Talked about that on the last podcast, uh, episode 23. This is episode 24. I say, I watch all your podcasts. Don't ask me who was on what episode. Yeah. Number yeah. It's episode 23 though, but we talked about uh soda. So we talked about okay. diets, you yeah. know, and, uh, Patty, I don't know if you know Dakota Patty. I don't think you know mm-hmm. him, but he was like, if you stop sodas completely, what are you going to do? Like you're going to crave the soda. Like when you stop something completely or take something away, and then see it there, it's like, okay, I want that. You know what I mean? That's just the human mind. Yeah. And I think it's the same way with individuals, relationships, and all that. People want what they can't have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is marrying young a good idea? We kind of talked about is having a child young a good idea. Uh, you got married. Well, you, I mean, you kind of got married relatively young, maybe mid-20s. Uh, do you feel like that's – did we cover that already? I don't remember now. We're going to cover it again. Okay. As marrying young, do you feel a good idea or sh- should you wait? Well, I will say like, I'm, I'm pretty conservative. Like I'm very open about that to people who talk and ask, but I see so many of these people now who are conservatives and younger, like younger conservatives be like, Oh, what you need to do is marry young, have as many kids as possible. And yada, yada. And it's like, I'm not going to agree or disagree with it, but the notion of trying to push people for that, I don't think is good. Yeah. I got married young because we already been committed to each other for so long and it felt like it was the right time so we could move forward and make those next steps in our lives. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, we could have chosen not to get married, but just still be together. Maybe that would have pushed off, pushed us off from having a kid. Maybe we would have still had a kid at the same time. But it's when we both were happy and comfortable and felt like that was the next natural step in our relationship for us spiritually, not just, well, that's just the next thing you do. Mm. I know there's a person I'm thinking of right now where- We don't name drop. I I ain't name dropping. (laughs) It's all good. But either way, it was the whole thing of his wife had talked about the fact of that's why they got married. They just felt like, well, they ended up dating and everyone else was getting engaged and married. So that was just the next thing they do. 
Yeah. They weren't ready for that. They didn't actually feel the pull to do that. It was just, well, that's just what you do next. Mm-hmm. But for us, it felt like this is the next step we want to take together. Well, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think y'all did it the right way. But I think especially in the South, like if you're early 30s and you're not married, people are like, what's wrong with you? Like there's something wrong with you. And that's just totally false. Like everybody has a journey. Everybody has, you know, steps in life that they'll go through. I think that's that's a farce in my opinion. Well, that's the thing. To me, it's like, if you're in your 30s and you're not married, well, good for you. Because guess what? You probably didn't make a bad and wrong decision for your life at that point. Right. You know, there's married people that are practically living in incarceration with their spouse. Yeah. Uh, miserable. But they're married and have that status. You know, they have showing everybody. And they don't want the outside opinion of, well, now... Well, now it's happened. Well, now I'm divorced. Well, how does that look? And they're worried about those things. Mm-hmm. They're not worried about, well, am I making the right decision for our relationship? Is this someone I can actually live and do the rest of my life with? If you don't feel that way, then it's not time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge lesson to young people, man. Uh, Kevin Thrasher talked about mm-hmm. uh, young when he sees young people get married, he's, he looks at them like, I don't know if y'all are ready. Yeah. You know, I'm talking early 20s, maybe mid 20s, whatever. Everybody has a different level of maturity, you know. Um, but I think like y'all, y'all got married mid 20s, but y'all had been together for forever yeah. by that point. It wasn't like you married a med and then a year later you got married and all that. But um, having that ability, and a lot of people say that about people getting married young, mm-hmm. you're more moldable. You know, when you're 30, 40 years old, you're kind of set in your ways more. Yeah. yeah. And that may be a real thing, but I think everybody molds to the right person. I mm-hmm. don't care who you are. Like, if you really admire somebody, you will. I don't care who you are, what age you are, whatever, you will. I feel like you will. Well, it's the same thing. You don't want to make the mistake of, well, I married the wrong person. Now I'm just stuck in this. I'm just stuck in nothing from now on. Yeah. I'm stuck in purgatory or anything. But even when you're 40, if you're getting married when you're 40, well, guess what? There's part of you, yeah, you have certain ways you do things around the house and in your everyday life, but if you really feel like you're supposed to be with this person, you're going to be willing to make some changes to make your other person happy. Right, right. It's all about being moldable, man, just having that attitude. And again, uh, people say that marriage is hard work. It is. It is constant work every day. And Mm -hmm. that's not bad. Right. But it's something you have to work at together no something you shouldn't fear but at least acknowledge that like yeah. going in okay but they should feel the same like they should be like i'm excited about it. it's going to be tough there's going to be tough seasons all that but acknowledge this is going to take work from both of us and i think having that idea going in that this is going to take work it kind of relieves the anxiety there yeah but it's also you can't lose yourself yes you were into this kind of music before you got married these are the hobbies you had you still need to have those things and be the individual you are, mm-hmm. but you are coming together as one. Right. The two become one. That's important, but you can't lose sight of who you're, you are as yourself either. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I don't think a lot of light is, sh- is shown on that. As far as in the South, too, they take the scripture, like two become one. And, it, you know, you're still an individual. You know, when you yeah. die and go to whatever you believe when you die, yeah. I believe you go to heaven or hell and you stand before judgment. But you stand alone. You don't stand with a spouse. You yeah. don't stand with anybody else, you know? So I think that individual walk with your your uh, spiritual beliefs, uh, with yourself, with everything, you st- you're still an individual and you need to keep that. Yeah, like me and my wife, we don't have all the exact same beliefs, mm-hmm. but a big thing is having a common belief. Yeah. 
and things like that. We don't, we don't have the same interest in music. We don't have the same hobbies, but there's plenty of stuff that we enjoy doing together. Mm. And even then stuff that she likes, I don't care for. Well, I'm going to do it with her to a certain point because I want her to enjoy it. And I want her to be happy. And she does the same thing with me. Right. She doesn't care about kiss and classic rock and stuff like that. But guess what? She's been to two kiss concerts and in two different kiss conventions. Yeah. She's going to do that stuff because I enjoy it and she loves seeing me how I am with it. Right. I don't care for Taylor Swift. I really don't like Taylor Swift, (laughs) but guess what? She likes Taylor Swift. I bought her that ticket so she can go see Taylor Swift in concert for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's love, man. I mean, that's love. It's not all about you, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think uh, we've started to kind of lose that. I think a lot of people have, uh, going back to the thing. But it's all about love and respect, man. Uh, giving every self to somebody else. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Uh, Going to wrap up relationships and fatherhood. We'll mm-hmm. go into mental health here next. Last question. Marriage, would you recommend it? Oh, entirely. Mm-hmm. It's not, I will say, it's not for everyone. Not everyone is willing to make those changes and adapt to another person. That's fine. Yeah. But I do recommend it. It's a strong bond. It's a bond of faith. It's not just the government being involved with it. It's a life commitment that you're making mentally, physically, and spiritually with another person, and you tie yourself together. Because no matter what, if you get married, you get divorced, that person's a part of your life forever. Yeah. And that's something you have to, most people are going to be happy with once they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, people have children with people in divorce and all that. You're you're tied to them forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, I don't know. Um, that's be my, careful. I will say that's my one of my big problems with actual hookup culture. Yeah, it's happened for decades, mm-hmm. but it's the thing of you're giving that piece of you to someone else. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You ain't getting it back. Yeah, I see dating's the same way. Even when I was dating people before my life in high school, it was always the thing of, I'm giving you a part of me. Yeah. And all that time, all the effort, all the emotions and mental, everything I'm giving you, I'm giving it to you, but I'll never get it back. Mm. You have to think of those things when you're with someone. Mm-hmm. 100%. A powerful statement, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, we're going to talk about mental health in a minute. We'll set that to the side. We talked about spirituality a lot. You mm-hmm. want to go in a little bit? It's fine. Sure. It depends so, on what you uh, want to talk about. Yeah, it's all good. So you grew up in a Christian household. Yes. Is that correct? Very much. So kind of talk about your upbringing, uh, what that was like, spiritual life for you, anything you want to share, man? Well, I mean, grew up Southern Baptist, who around here to a point really didn't. Yeah. If you weren't that, you were probably Methodist. Every now and again, you might get someone who's Pentecostal. But as a whole, it was, we were in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Youth group was doing something. We were going to be there. We would go to camps. We were going to have a fundraiser. We're doing a lock-in. We're doing D-Now. It was going on. We were going to be there. Mom worked for the church as a second job for a while. Like, we were always up in church, and we were raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that was a good thing? Yeah, I would say yes. Yeah. Like, that's something me and my wife are, have talked about since having a child is how big a difference it was for me and her growing up where I was born. Well, guess what? 
when we got home from the hospital, if it was Sunday, we were going to be going to church. We were raised in church. Yeah. Her family wasn't much that way. Anna really started going to church when she was in middle school and wanted to start going with her friends and doing those things. And it got to where we were going to church together when we were dating. But the big, the big difference in family culture and family impact it had on my family going to church together and doing those things versus hers, where they didn't start doing those things until later. Mm. And I'm not name dropping. My father-in-law has said this to me is one regret he has with his family is not having them raised up in church. Anna made that decision when she was younger, but not having his family go to church regularly and doing those things together. Yeah, I think it's the unity. I think the unity of a family is huge, being there together and all that. Um, I think it's a great thing. You know, we live in the Bible Belt in the South and all that. Pretty much everybody goes to church. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that's a big deal. That's that's awesome that he can admit that and be honest about that, though. And right, he can learn from that. He's grown so much in his faith over the years. Yeah. And he'll tell you that, too. He's become a deacon especially before his father passed. That was one thing like they were starting to do was regularly go to church together and do those things. And he could tell how big of an impact it made in his own life, but his family's life doing that together. Yeah. Even with having a child at that point who was out of the house, one in high school to her younger, like he, he'll tell you how big of an impact it made with him just going to church and diving himself and his family going into that together. Mm hmm. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned Southern Baptist, if everybody ain't, whatever. Uh, do you have a good impression, do you feel like, of Southern Baptist culture? I've, I've kind of went in on Southern Baptist. I grew up Southern Baptist. It's kind of like we show everybody we're perfect and, and all that. Honestly, there's a lot of that in the Southern Baptist church that I've seen. Uh, what's your opinion overall on churches? The biggest, well, let's specify, since I grew up Southern Baptist, I don't agree with everything that the Baptist belief is. But the big thing I do like about it is it is more traditional, which I'm a big fan of, like, everything I like. Like, I can relate to a bunch of 40 and 50-year-olds more than I can people my own age just because that stuff I'm into. Yeah. But it's the thing of, like, I'm not big on, like, contemporary Christian music and stuff like that. You are. That's fine. But I'm much more of the, like, let's get the hymn book out. Things like that, that Baptist is more traditional in that I do like, but a lot of the beliefs I'm not big on. And the big thing of, well, what do you look like? What's your imagery? Which is a big part of people's lives, but they obsess over it too much. Yeah. The obsession. I think that's it. It's more of the look. Like, do you look the part? And you know, Jesus came for everybody. You know, I don't care who you are. He met prostitutes at a well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, um, and we've made it to where you have to look a certain way. You have to present yourself well in the church. You know, I was raised and I still believe this, but you dressed your best on Sunday. That's what you do. You look your best, you yeah. know? Um, but some people can't, some people financially can't. So are, are they the same? Are they looked down upon and all that? A lot of that culture, I don't really agree with. Does you know? this person really have less faith because they wore jeans and a polo shirt instead of slacks, a button shirt and a tie? That's right. I don't think so. Right. Just like everyone always makes a joke about, oh, yeah, the Baptists, they got to go to the next county over to go buy liquor. It's like, we're not being true to yourself, but you're also not being true to your faith. If you're still doing those things behind closed door, who cares what you look like? Yeah. If you're going to stand for God and you're going to be a person of faith, you need to be true to yourself, but you also got to be true to the others around you. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a word, man. I'm going to pause for a second and just soak that (laughs) in. That's pretty good stuff. But it's true, man. Uh, You know, be who you are. Um, 
we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, and I think being real with that, being transparent with that mm-hmm. and saying, this is what I struggle with. I think that's why a lot of people do the things they do is because they can't be transparent. It's yeah. like, I, if I'm honest, I'm sh- I'm shamed, you yeah. know, rather than just being honest and saying, this is what I struggle with and telling that to people. It's hard to do. Well, you also got a thing and to a point, this may be a little bit of more mental health, but I feel like somewhat mental health does tie into people's spirituality and their therefore they're also religious beliefs but of course if i realize i have a problem with something it's not just well that's who i am that's the end of that you just have to accept it you have to be working on yourself if you think there's a problem with something and other people should also hold you accountable like hey this is a problem mm-hmm. okay well why do you think it is okay well maybe that's something i need to work on if someone thinks it's a problem but if i'm not seeing it as a problem then I just need to be happy with myself. Yeah. Yeah, man. If you don't see something as a problem, you're not going to work on it. It is what it is, you know? No one gets help if they don't want the help. Yeah. Lead a horse to water. Mm-hmm. But you can't make them drink. It's true. Uh, it's just a true statement. Yeah, we'll cover spirituality a little bit. That's good stuff. But we'll segue into mental health, man. Uh, I want to start by asking your thoughts on the current mental health crisis. Uh, you know, we live in a time, especially in the West, where depression anxiety uh schizophrenia bipolar all these conditions are just through the roof based upon a lot of different factors uh what is your idea and your opinion on mental health in the west as a whole for me it slightly depends on what it is specific Mm. like there's a part of it that partly believes well are we actually recognizing these things more and actually diagnosing them or are we over diagnosing things yes Like, there's a certain point, let's just take ADHD. There was obviously a point where it's, well, that kid just, his parents just don't discipline him. He just needs to learn to sit down and be quiet. Then we start recognizing, oh, there's a chemical imbalance. There, there's something there. We can treat that. And now it's become, and just, just write him off as ADHD. He'll be all right. Mm -hmm. Somewhat same thing with depression and other things. But it's also recognizing, well, maybe it's just a phase they are going through, but maybe it's something they actually have to deal with for the rest of their life or for longer than just a phase. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's huge, um, especially being in the medical realm. Um, Is it is it overdiagnosis, like you said, or is this stuff really skyrocketing? I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah, I I think it is a mixture of both. Um, But what I want to say about ADHD, a lot of these. diagnoses there is true chemical imbalance in the brain that Mm -hmm. happens and all that but could that be due to factors that happened in childhood you know children need to feel safe they need attentiveness they need all these things and a lot of kids now you know both parents work there's issues whatever you want to say about it um do you think it could be caused by a lot of different factors or you think that's solely a chemical imbalance by an individual person well part of it's Part of it is going to be chemical imbalance. Part of it is going to be maybe the way you were brought up. Because some people do say child. ADHD is a cry for help. Like, you know, ADHD kids, like they'll throw, like get a pillow and throw it across the room. And they're like, why did you do that? Well, uh-huh. they don't, yeah, they don't know. It's like, is the, is it, is it a seek for attention a little bit? Or is there, I think it's a component of a lot of different things, but I definitely think a huge component is from children not getting the attentiveness uh, and trauma in childhood uh, that's affected that. Well, even then, people talk about 
well, Johnny just needs to learn to sit down and be quiet and do what he's supposed to do. Right. He probably does. But maybe there's something wrong with him and we need to try and address it and adjust it. But there's also part where it's not, some of it is, I think, is being overdiagnosed and some of it is, why are we giving Adderall to a five-year-old? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a certain point which, as someone with ADHD, I got diagnosed when I was in college. It's something I dealt with for many years, but I really never did anything about it until I got to college because I realized there's just something not right. Mm-hmm. And I've just dealt with it and always thought, well, it's just me. It's how I am. And then realized, no, I need to get this checked out. Well, there's always part of me growing up that I just have to think, well, is it because I was ADHD or was it just because I was a kid? But taking medicine, your body will adjust to medicine just like, well, they give you smaller dose at first and they increase it after so long. Exactly. Well, then after you take it for so many years, well, maybe you need to swap what kind of medication. Well, maybe we need to change the milligram. If you're starting a five-year-old kid out on ADHD medicine, there are some who may need it. But they're just going to become more and more dependent and need higher milligram and need different kinds and having to boost it and boost it and boost it because the body's not going to respond to it at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And I hate to sound like I'm a medical professional by any, by any means. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But it's from personal experience where it's like, if this happens to me and I started having to take medicine when I was 19, 20, somewhere there, well, if that was happening to me at that point, what's going to happen with this five-year-old by the time he's 18? Yeah. That's a very huge point. And that is with almost any medicine. Yeah. You know, you take it for a long time and your body adjusts and all that. The thing I have with, with a lot of mental health diagnoses, man, there is a root cause uh, of it. Um, and whether chemical imbalances may be an experience, because mm-hmm. the body is very adaptable, right? Yep. We know that. I'm not a neurochemist, uh, neuropsychologist, whatever. That's not my profession. But I have a, a decent understanding of neurochemistry and all that. But events can trigger things. We think PTSD. We think all this other stuff. It changes your body, right? Yes. So there is an origin uh, of a reason why you experience these symptoms. I've said on the podcast often, anxiety, I don't think, is a disease. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Deloney talks about that. Um, anxiety is a symptom. It's your body crying for help, saying something is off. I'm not safe. It can be wrong. It yeah. can be right. But that's why I'm a big proponent of therapy is getting to the root of all that stuff. Medication, chronically, sometimes it needs to be taken. Some conditions it does. But I think, like you said, the overdiagnosis of everything, a lot of things can be adjusted with therapy, mm-hmm. uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think that's really important for people to have more than just going to a medication. Now, it could get to a point where you need medication, uh, and that's what it's there for. But, uh, but I think therapy's huge. And as a person, like, I'll be open about this, like, as someone who has clinical depression and is bipolar, there's a certain point to where, yeah, therapy helps plenty of people. Medication does too. I'm the type of person where they've sat there, they've like scanned on me. They've looked at history. They've looked at events in my life. And it's like, no, you just have a chemical imbalance. This isn't, Hey, you had this event happen. Mm-hmm. So you're sad. You probably need to just get some therapy and work through it. It's, there's a chemical imbalance. This is going to be pretty much all your life or not the majority of your life. You're going to have to do something about this. Mm-hmm. I have an emotional support animal. My dog, Bo Cephas. Mm-hmm. He helps me a ton. I'm talking when I got that dog, it made the world of difference. 
having something like that. And I would train him to be able to respond to me if he noticed my mood was flipping too quick and doing other things to be able to get my face and distract me from what's going on, Mm -hmm. to be able to walk by me to a certain point, listen to certain commands, do hand signals, just training a dog, but then also training him for me to do those things for me and help me out. Mm-hmm. It's huge, man. Um, Bo Cephas. Bo Cephas Jackson. Yeah, I like your support animal. He's a pretty good doggy. But yeah, you know, everybody coaches with it differently. Everybody deals with stuff differently. Um, anxiety and depression, all that, it's, it's a huge deal, especially in the West. Uh, social media. I think social media plays a huge impact in the anxiety, depression, a lot of mental health diagnosis. Uh, your opinion on social media impacting the mental health crisis? Oh, entirely, because when you think about it, social media, we're more connected and more commutative than the world was at any other time. That's great. But there's also jealousy that comes out of that. Well, I'm seeing these people, they accomplished all this stuff and I never got to. Well, they're taking all these trips and I, I just don't get to. Well, their their life is just so perfect and it's what I want. Well, is it or is that just what you get to see? Right. So now you're feeling anxious because maybe you feel like now, well, I didn't do enough when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I didn't go out and travel enough. Stories. Or do those things. It's, Tell yourself stories. You're lying to yourself because you're being, you're being hoodwinked by these things you're seeing on the internet. Mm-hmm. Their life isn't perfect. Right. Maybe that is stuff you want to do, but is it really just stuff you want to do because you want to be able to brag like these other people are trying to do? Yeah, it's a highlight reel. I mean, social media, and it, it should be. I think that's a good thing, but I think it, you just have to tell yourself that, like, this isn't real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some people taking all those trips, they're hundreds of thousand dollars in debt. Like, you don't yeah. know everybody. See, it only tells a certain portion of that, uh, and I think it's good to understand that, but I think it does affect a lot of people seeing all those highlight reels and all that. Well, yeah, I'm like, I don't post a whole lot, and I do post the highlights. When my kids have done great through the season, I'll try to remember to post. When it's my daughter's birthday, I'm going to make some little post about her. When it's my my wife's anniversary or her birthday, I'll make some posts and just be like, show that I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. But to a certain point, I'm not there to show off to the world and say, well, look at me. Look how great things are. Mm -hmm. That's for me, my family, my friends in my circle to celebrate together, not the rest of the world. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. You know, keeping that circle and celebrating with it, because those are the people that care. I mean, probably 99.9% of the people on your social media, they give you likes all that, but that, I mean, really, if you call them in the middle of the night, are they going to be there? Probably not. No. You know, you know, keeping that real life personal circle, that's, that's really a big deal. But yeah, I think social media has impacted mental health uh, substantially especially for this younger generation, like the kids you teach now. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew up, which you're a little bit younger than me, but I got a Facebook in eighth grade, right? And that's when yeah. it was small, you know, uh, that's when it came out. But now, you know, even elementary, middle school kids having social media, I don't know if they're supposed to. I think there's like an age cap on that. I but, think all uh, these are supposed to be 18. Yeah. Yeah, that that definitely don't happen. No, absolutely yeah. not. But the... uh and that's where they're in such heat, uh, you know, with the government and all that. They're asking them, like, we want to see your models, like how you gather data, and, and they won't give it to them. It's, yeah. it's kind of a big deal, but. Well, even think about that. You were in eighth grade when you got Facebook. How old are you when you got your first phone? Not even smartphone, but just phone, period. Mm, I think it was eighth or ninth grade, too. 
Yeah. How many kids do you know nowadays who were in third grade and have their first smartphone? First grade. Kindergarten. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not talking about little tablet you have at home so you can play Roblox or whatever. Like, you got a phone that you can take around with you and you can text mom and daddy like, I don't feel good. Come check me out. Mm-hmm. In elementary school. Mm-hmm. You like, know, that has a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to the fatherhood thing, you know, and if you, everybody else has a phone. So if you don't, you're like the villain. You oh, know, I, I mean? remember <laughs> being in sixth grade. I didn't have a phone yet. All these other people did. So the money I got for like Christmas or my birthday, I went and bought a track phone from Walmart. Didn't even flip. Yeah. That I also had to go to Walmart and buy like minutes off a card. Yeah. Buy those and then send it in. So that way I could actually be able to text people. That's crazy. Like having to do that myself because my parents were like, you're not ready for a phone. You're not old enough. Well, everyone else does. But yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to stand, especially when everybody else is doing it. And mm-hmm. now they are. I mean, every elementary school kid practically has a phone, uh, especially middle school. And um, yeah, but parents have to stand firm. Yeah. Going back to that thing. Cause- oh, just stuff like that. We, Me and my wife have agreed our child slash children will not be tablet kids if either of our parents decide we're we're gonna get them a tablet it's either we got a new tablet or that thing is gonna be sold now they get them a little leapfrog thing or whatever but if it's like oh you got them like a kindle or an ipad well looks like me and my wife got a new one because my kid ain't gonna have it yet yeah hit up west beck he'll sell it on ebay he'll Uh get he'll get it on his ebay business get you some change for it yeah, but social media is definitely an impact, man. Um, just the exposure. You know, kids are supposed to, and at high school, we had drama without it. You know, now oh, it's like social media is more important than life. I mean, you know, there's not going to get too dark there, but, you know, when that social media presence crumbles, that's a kid's life. It, it, well, that's the thing you brought up a minute ago where you're like, well, it's not real. Yeah, but that that is real life, to too. To them, it is. Yes. Well, no, it just is. It used to be, oh, well, you run into someone while you're walking down the street. Hey, I heard so-and-so tell me that you said this about me. Well, now on social media, it's there. How many employers nowadays are like, hey, we don't like the way your social media looks, where it's affecting your job and your livelihood, yeah. because they might not have liked something you posted, even if it's not company-related. Mm-hmm. It's becoming real life. Well, to a point, it already is real life. All those things, just like to a point, one thing I don't agree with a lot of parents you see on TikTok, but especially Facebook do, where it's like, well, my kid disrespected me, so I'm going to take his Xbox out here, and I'm going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. I probably can't say shoot, can I? Nah, we'll leave it. We'll see what happens. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but like, Shred they do it. stuff like that, or, well, I'm going to throw it in the pool, run it over my truck, and I'm like, what are you really showing your kid? Children need punishment and discipline. I agree. But really, I'm like, well, who bought them that Xbox? It was probably you. How much money did you waste instead of at least selling it, trying to recoup your money? You're going to be grounded from it. We're going to take it away. What kind of example are you setting for yourself and the rest of the world by doing that and then posting it on social media? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never understood that. Like you discipline your children and you post that publicly on social media. Like that that's odd to me. Yeah. You know, some of those videos go viral. So oh, those yeah. kids will see that forever. They're going like to see them it forever. Getting disciplined by their parents. And people are going to recognize you forever. Oh, yeah. what happened to the kid oh, in that video? Oh, you're that video? kid that, yeah. yeah. It, it will stick with you for the rest of your life. So that's my thing. 
it is becoming, if it's not already, the internet is real life. Yeah. Makes me think about OnlyFans, dude. Kids uh, seeing their mom on OnlyFans. Bro, uh, that's so scary. It is. That's it, so scary. Imagine you know, like, that. People are going to be making jokes in middle school now like, yeah. Yeah, well, I can pay three ninety nine and see your see mom. your mama. <laughs> that's true, but it's, it's a real thing, man. It's something you got to really consider, but man. Uh, but at that point, you'll also probably have the kid whose mom doing OnlyFans talking about, well, yeah. Well, I have the newest iPhone. You're three behind, loser. That's true. That's true. Uh, OnlyFans, man, it makes me think of the Bible verse, and I've said this before on the podcast, uh, I believe, but uh, gain the whole world, but lose your soul. Yeah. I think that's the real thing, man. I mean, people are becoming multimillionaires on that stuff, but what do you lose? You know, you lose your integrity. You lose everything. You know, even men do it too. There's men's OnlyFans. Um, but it's the same thing I, was, I said earlier. You're giving us you're giving away a piece of yourself to all those people. That's right. You're giving away yourself to the world. You have nothing left. Mm-hmm. Like you are still a person. You may still have your house and your car, but what do you really have left inside? That's right. You've given yourself up to the world. You've mm-hmm. given yourself to anyone and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, took a turn on the social media there, but yeah. yeah. Uh, medication versus therapy. So I want you to say what you said off camera about <laughs> therapy. I'm oh, a, I'll he, say it. I'm, I'm a, oh, it. I know. I know. I'm just a huge proponent of therapy, and you kind of are a proponent of medication. Um, in my opinion, I've said that before. You know, I think medication can be chronic. You need it long term and all that. But I also think a lot of medication is overprescribed, and some of these situational depressive anxiety states could be healed with cognitive behavioral therapy or speaking to a counselor in simpler terms. What is your opinion on therapy versus uh, medication in the mental health arena? Do what is right for you. Like I said, for me, we sat and did studies on brain scans and all that stuff. Therapy probably could help me. My wife is, she's been in therapy and she even tells me, I think you'd benefit a lot. I just don't feel like that's for me. Yeah. I do. I do self-reflect. I take medication. I have a support animal to help me with these things. And ever since I've done those, everything has gotten easier. It's gotten better. I can see the difference those things make. I just don't feel like it's for me. I know plenty of people who do therapy and they talk about how it helps them. And I'm happy. I'm not like, you talk to a therapist, whatever. That's what you feel like is actually going to work for you. Do it. If you're not sure, you should try it. Right. But if you also feel like you're not getting the fulfillment out of that, maybe you do need to try something else, Mm -hmm. whether that be medication for a short period or a longer period of time while you're doing therapy. Maybe you need to change something in your life to actually make a change for yourself, and that'll burn you out of things. Mm -hmm. Therapy helps plenty of people. I just don't feel like I'm one of those people. Well, if you try the method and it works, I think you should stick with that method. Yeah. You know, like I've never done medication, but I've done therapy. So I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to take medication to help anxiety, depression, all that. That's just not something I want to do because I have a method that works. And I think that's just it. You need to try out as far as medication versus therapy, try something and see what works. And to the point, a big thing with my mental health was just talking about it, mm-hmm. not therapy, but when someone is talking about it and I can admit, yeah, this is what. This is what I have. I take medication for it. I've found acceptance in myself in doing those things. And that sounds like stuff therapists would say. But it's like once I was able to actually comfortably talk to other people and realize what's going on in my life and I could accept myself for it, 
I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where they've been like, well, what did you do? Well, I went, I realized these things were going on. Talked to a doctor. They said, well, we could do this or we, you could try therapy. You could do those things. I just found this works for me and I'm happy with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's it is the acceptance. The not being ashamed of it. Yes. The acceptance of what is going on or Mm -hmm. what is. And I think that's why a lot of people deal with a lot of things is because they don't accept it. Yeah. You know, even their past, uh, their present, you know, or whatever, or even their future, not accepting what is. uh, I think that's where a big rub comes in from a lot of people. Well, I feel like that's another big thing in Southern culture that we grew up in where, oh, well, that's private. That's supposed, that's a family secret. We're we're not even going to tell your aunts and uncles about this. We got to keep this private and hush hush. It's like, yeah, if you want to, that's fine. It, it's my business to tell if I want to talk about it, I have every right to talk about it. That's okay. what makes me happy is knowing I've accepted myself for this. I went and did these things and I've helped a lot of other people be able to come to terms with, well, you know what? Maybe I need to go do that. Mm-hmm. I know plenty of people now who they actually started medication or they took medication for a while. They went to go do therapy because I was open enough to talk about this is what I did and I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, secrets will kill relationships. Mm-hmm. They'll kill friendships. They'll kill everything. And I think even husbands and wives, they can't even talk fully about what they go through. And that's a shame. You know, I think that's a shame. Uh, vulnerability is necessary, man, mm-hmm. for relationships, friendships, everything. No, I'll, I'm a big component of if it wasn't for my wife. And this is before we were married. I wouldn't be here today because yeah. she pushed me and said, you have this going on and I don't want to see you go through this. I want to help you. Yeah. I'm going to encourage you and support you to do this. Well, that goes back to that finding a woman with compassion. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. It is. Very big. For sure. Especially in a woman. That's a, that's a, you know, a vital uh, value. I think they need to have for sure. Good stuff. Um, ways to lighten the load. Kind of put that in, uh, in, in words there. Uh, the mental health load, I think a lot of people go through, even if you're not diagnosed with anything mm-hmm. it, for men is a lot, you know, in the society today, you got pressure, you got to make money, you got to take care of things. You got to make everybody, you know, uh, how would you say, or how do you lighten that mental health load? Have hobbies, find the things that make you happy that you can do to enjoy. To me, the big, that one of my big things is teaching drumline. I go there, I may be in a bad mood, but guess what? I get to start over now. I left work, I'm there, I'm doing something new. So that helps. They, Like I said, there are times where they make me feel old, but they keep me so young and so fresh at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, I go in there, they're not doing good today. I may throw a fit about it, but guess what? At the end of it, I'm like, dang, I love doing this. Mm-hmm. This is so great. Sure. Having those kind of hobbies that you get to enjoy. I'm big into kiss collecting. I'm a kiss nerd. I'll tell you what. But like getting all the people I've met through over the years, conventions, through groups that we're in, doing that stuff with them, and just finding out new things like, oh, well, there's this little variation. Just having hobbies to kind of keep you moving and keep doing the thing. Mm-hmm. That goes back to keeping your identity. You yeah. know, I think... And people get lost in work. They work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, some people, and you kind of get lost in everything. And then you just go home, sit on the couch, watch TV. You're not doing something that you enjoy. 
And that we have one life experience, man. Yeah. You know, you need to be enjoying your life. Like you need to work. Uh, you need to provide. You need to do what you need to do. But you also need to be, you know, living your life and enjoying your experience. It's part of also like finding a job you enjoy or something that makes you feel fulfilled. Like the job I have now, on average, I work about 45-ish hours a week. Depending on the year, could be more, depending on the year, a little bit closer to 40. Teaching is my second job, but I love doing it. Mm -hmm. It takes a weight off of me. It keeps me occupied and keeps me moving, but it takes a weight off me to where it's like, I got to go do this and I enjoyed it. Or like I said, even with collecting, well, I'm on the hunt for this new little item. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to get rid of this stuff so I can make some room for this other thing. And it's just constantly having something to do that I enjoy and it like almost leaves you in a little bit of a hunt. Yeah. Like we grew up, especially both being in the same type of drumline, very competitive. Sure. Highly competitive. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I encourage my kids to do is be competitive with each other. Be competitive with yourself. Same thing in collecting. It's like, oh, I'm hunting this next little thing. Well, I'm doing this. And it's constantly trying to move forward and inch your way up into something. It's all meaningless to a certain point. Yeah. But you find comfort in the simplicity and how exciting it may be. The excitement. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why a lot of people, you know, they uh 40 years old going with their old uh drumline football basketball buddies cracking beers and all that and they're like man i haven't felt this way because you never get excited like oh, yeah. you, you never get excited and you long for that again because your life does not excite you oh. and, and i think what what do you think is going to happen oh, like you're going to be anxious depressed you're not going to be in a good place if you never get excited why well, you talking about people being in their 40s and 50s and 60s being in southerners at jacksonville Go out there alumni weekend or Southerners reunion weekend. Yeah. You go out there. Yeah, I marched back in 77. Well, guess what? They're getting to see their buddies that they hadn't got to see since last reunion. They're hanging out with the guys who were 18, 19 years old, marching on drum. I was like, yeah, man, this is what it's like when we were here too. We did this and they're all cracking beers and smoking cigars and hanging out and doing all this stuff. And they're getting to relive it like it's 1977 all over again. Mm-hmm. And they just talk about how much they love it and enjoy it. Yeah, I got my own drum at home. I st- I'm still cranking it out. I'm still practicing this thing. There's no way I could do what y'all are doing nowadays. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It's just finding enjoyment in those things that are so simple. It is. But finding enjoyment and getting excited about life. Mm-hmm. You know, having you something that gets up, gets you up in the morning. It's vital. I think it's definitely vital to your health. Uh, men don't seek help with mental health. Why do you think that is? Because we're told not to. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're encouraged. It's like nowadays, maybe so, but that's because there are platforms like this encouraging those men to go do those things. Mm-hmm. I can tell you it's the biggest thing where growing up it was, oh, you're feeling this way? Choke it and swallow it down. This is what we got to do. There's a time and a place for everything. I'm not, I'm not going to like, yeah, you don't need to be in the middle of Walmart having a crying fit. Mm-hmm. But you need to let those emotions out and actually learn to deal with them, how to move with them and do those things. And part of that being is I'm going to encourage you to do this. Just like I said, my wife, she encouraged me to actually go seek professional help and not just constantly trying to deal with those things myself or putting them on to her to where it was unfair to her. She encouraged me to do those things. And it is more so nowadays, but it's still a thing of, well, that's not a very manly thing to do. Yeah. 
taking care of yourself so you can take care of others is the manly thing to do. Yeah. How do you think you're going to take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself? I mean, I don't think you can do your best ability. How many stories did we hear about growing up where, oh yeah, I'm making up a name here, but Johnny's dad died at 55 from a heart attack because he never dealt with issues he had, whether that was actual health of going to the doctor or dealing with his own stress in any way. Yeah. Because he was told not to. Because mm-hmm. he needed to suck it up for his family. Well, now he's not there for his family. That's right. That's a huge, uh, huge statement there for sure. Got to take care of it, man. For men, it's, it's vital. Uh, people need you. Your family needs you. And your significant other or children, if you have them, they need you too, man. So we'll end on the mental health thing. Thank you for going in a little bit on that. We'll talk about Drumline. We're probably going to wrap it up here shortly. So uh, Southside Drumline. Yeah, we talked about earlier in the podcast. It yeah. seems like forever ago. This is about an hour and a half long so far. Uh, currently teach, but we were in. Well, you joined drumline in tenth grade. Is that correct? I didn't. I didn't join band until eighth grade. Okay. So when Kyle and Evan, they were already marching with you for your senior. Year. Well, I was still trying to figure out what my first scale was and how to hold the sticks right and things like that. Right. So we just missed each other. Yeah. Actually getting to play together that way. That's true. That's true. So you joined drumline or band in eighth grade. Normally Mm -hmm. you joined in sixth grade. So what was that like? Do you feel like you had to catch up or what was that experience like? It was a big old catch up process where it was, well, especially at the time, having one director between high school and middle school. Well... Nathan didn't have time to sit there and teach this one kid how to play scales, how to read, and how to do this stuff. He had other kids who had been doing this since sixth grade where it's like, hey, you need to take him off to the side, teach him how to do these things for so long, and then we got to come back and actually start working on this music. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a big catch-up. But also having friends who were already in band, and especially they're doing their first year of March band, it definitely helped me play the catch-up game mm-hmm. awesome man awesome so we were never in drumline together mm-hmm. but uh, we did we in the same drumline and all that so now you teach drumline kind of talk about that experience what we talked a little bit about it what it's been like kind of going back and reliving uh all that through the drumline now lord i'll say it's been a whirlwind as like the year i graduated high school current director matt weaver asked hey would you want to just come help during man can't get some experience well yeah that'd be cool great did that. that so that was my first teaching gig just kind of really helping out a little bit learning from the other instructor who was there then the next year took a semester off of college so i did the full season then i started then i went to cherokee county well then i started doing some saturday clinics at a school over in georgia well then i was the percussion coordinator at fort Payne. well then i was helping this school and then all of it turned around to be Back at Southside, I was looking for, I, during COVID, took some time off. I was going to teach at one school and me and the director was like, hey, it's probably best with everything going on. Let's just not, not going to do anything extra. Okay. Then right, I guess that was 21. I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I'll get back into it. Their assistant director at the high school at the time was also the percussion person. She took a new job just lined up where it's like hey do you want to come do this yeah i'd love to Mm -hmm. and i've been there since that's awesome that's awesome uh i'm sure that's been awesome experience kind of seeing kids come up and all that oh yeah especially moving around going other places still see kids from like i said 2016 when i was at cherokee county Mm -hmm. still getting messages from some of those kids years later like hey i'm gonna audition for 
the drum line at West Georgia. Hey, well, this kid, I know who was drum major, but also did percussion. Well, he works at the same company my dad does now. And seeing them move, and even then, the kids from Fort Payne that some of mine was still close with, well, they worked with me at the music store for a little bit. One of them still does. Well, hey, I'm getting married. We'd love for you to come. Well, hey, I got this problem going on, and I I just wanted to talk to you and see if you had any advice on this. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with the kids I have now. Just watching them grow and evolve and become young adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff, man. That's good. It's nice. uh, It's a proud moment when somebody younger comes to you and said, I need your help. Oh, yeah. You know, and and, us being willing to do and all that. It's always been very impactful in my life. I know Mm -hmm. it is in yours. So the drumline, Southside Drumline, episode 22, a lot of them came in here. We've interviewed a lot of people on the drumline in the podcast. Uh, we call it the brotherhood. You know, it is a brotherhood of us guys. How do you feel like that has impacted you in your life as a whole, the Southside Drumline Brotherhood? Immensely. I mean, two of my best friends who I marched with, we still get together. They were in the wedding. We didn't even march together. Yeah. And look how good friends we are. Yeah things like that where it really shows and to a point it's kind of what led me when i went to jacksonville me and kyle we were in the same rookie class for the drumline jacksonville too and that's what we call it there too it's the brotherhood Mm -hmm. we have matching tattoos talking about this is the brotherhood and i always felt the same kind of thing with Southside. like most other people talk about even who were in my rookie class and other guys at jacksonville it's like well they felt the bond there but in high school, it was nothing like that. They don't talk to any of those people anymore. They didn't have that connection. Right. But even right now, Mark Music over this past summer, he gave the store. Me and him just sat there and talked for an hour. I didn't march with Mark. Mm-hmm. Same thing with us. I'll run into him. We'll talk for a little bit. Cody Freeman, all those kind of people. It's like, even if we didn't march together, we have that connection, that bond together from being on Southside's drum line. Yeah, so it's a fraternity-like thing. I really feel like it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. Just having that uh, common bond of being in it and all that. Yeah, to me, it's it's unbreakable, man. I mean, I uh, you know, and I don't talk to people for years. Smart music, I think, when he came in, 20, it's been thirteen years since I have talked to him, and we just really? yeah, and we just talk like we never you know yeah, left, like you, you never know? left. Yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's really impacted my life for sure. I know it has yours. Um, so the drumline, uh, would you recommend band to people? I know you're a drumline instructor and all that. People that are kind of on the fence, if they're younger, maybe listen to this. Well, obviously I'm going to say yes. Yeah. But it's the thing of. You'll find a bit of everyone in band. You are going to find some athletic people. You're going to find some gamers. You're going to find this kind of person. You're going to find that. There's always going to be a home for people in a band program. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're just trying to rack up the numbers and hopefully you'll stay and things like that. It's you'll always end up, even people I know who were in band and quit. Well, guess what? Some of their best friends are still band people. Mm-hmm. You'll always find people and always find a home in a band program with some other people. I think it just teaches you how to, how to relate and get along with people so well. You know, like you said, there's just so many different kinds of people in band. Oh, and yeah. it's like, you just, you're a team. Like, you figure it out and all that. And everybody's an individual, but most time when you look at football team, the track, theater kids, they all kind of fall into the same type of thing. Mm-hmm. Those band kids, you get everyone under the sun in there. Mm-hmm. And there's always someone there for you, too. 
That's a good point. You still learn every bit of life skills you do in any other thing. I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't want my kid to be in band. You don't want them to learn life skills? <laughs> be on time. Be responsible. Hey, this is your job. This is your duty. You have these things you have to take care of. These are things you have to take care of outside of band. When you're at home, you practice while you're at home. You rehearse while you're here. Mm-hmm. It's not like most other sports where you just show up, you have practice, you do it. It's You have to practice there. This is rehearsal where we're doing all this together. Football and everything else. Yes, everyone has to work as a team. But man, everyone else is relying on you. Mm-hmm. If you if you are taking care of your stuff, there's no one else who's going to pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. You have to take care of yourself, and other people are going to be there to help motivate you and get you there. They're not. They're never going to be like, oh well, you didn't do it, so you got to figure it out. There's a time to sink or swim, but they're always going to be, hey, let me help you out with this. Mm-hmm. You know. A lot of people have that idea like band is not hard because it's not football. Like, you know, it's not extreme physical activity. It's tough, man. I mean, I'm I'm a very athletic person and it's, it's not easy, Uh, especially marching and all that. Oh Lord. I can't, I will tell you the biggest weight loss journey I had was when I was in marching Southerners at Jacksonville state university. Yeah. Like I'm talking, I was always a more hefty kid. And even then, Senior year, I was starting to lose a little bit of weight. When I did two weeks of band camp from 7.30 in the morning till 10 at night, and then I would go home and practice on my own while we're out in the sun. At that time, we were practicing on a asphalt parking lot. In Alabama. And then we are having to go, what we called for sectionals, in the cage. Mm-hmm. Where we're just on asphalt again with no shade. We're just going back and forth and doing that. By the end of my first season of Southerners, I think I dropped down to 190 mm-hmm. because it's so involved. Mm-hmm. Marching band is highly involved, is very strenuous. Oh, yeah, you got bigger people out there. But they'll talk about how much weight they've lost and how strenuous it is for them to do it, too. Yes, yeah, legit, man. It's it's not easy. Now, I think some people, they, they don't understand the world. They haven't done it. But uh, marching band people, man. It's harder than it looks. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of it also specifically being not just percussion, but marching drumline, marching battery, the extra equipment you're having to carry, or if you're marching cymbals, you're having to hold brass up, at least for your 10-minute, 12-minute show. Mm -hmm. Not to mention all the rehearsal you had to do and the workouts you had to do to be able to do it first. 100%. Like all the extra stuff you got to carry with drumline, it really weighs down. It does. It does. Yeah, carrying the drums. Uh, I was fourth base my eighth grade year, so I was I was a heavy one, and uh, it's heavy, man. Oh, I marched bottom for three years. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That second year, going into the second year, I broke my arm. Me, Kevin, Nathan Askey sat down. We're like, you know, you just feel like you might end up getting behind, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool, great. And, there, and Kevin said, well, do you want to march top? I was like, uh, no. I marched bottom. Going into my third year. Audition for snare, did everything for snare up until the very last week of audition stuff. And I was like, hey, Kevin, I'm going to march bottom. We'll have a good line as long as you let me be in charge of it. He's like, take it and run. Oh, wow. March bottom again. We had a fire line that year. Yeah. Was like, that 2012? Yeah, that year would have been 2012. He, he talked about that drum line. Super he balanced. He said that was a solid line. Yeah. Super balanced. But I'm sitting here, it's like, oh, we're going to do these splits. Oh, we're going to change it to this. Oh, we're going to add in this stuff. 
And I just loved it. But marching that bottom for three years definitely took a toll on my back. I can relate. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. You know, I marched bass for three years. I had Mark, Kevin, or uh, Mark, Wes, Cody, all of them were ahead of me mm-hmm. marching snare. I was trying to get their spot. Yep. And I, I, I could never get because they were older and all that. It's just the way it fell. Uh, but that made me so much better because I practiced all the time. It's like I always tell my kids, the spot is always open. Yeah. Just because they marched the last year doesn't mean they're going to next year. But you got to work and get and be better than them. Yeah. You got to work to keep that spot. It's a real thing, man. Uh, cool. Drumline's awesome. Lots of episodes on that <laughs> if you want to review. Uh, episode 22 is a big one, too. It's coming out soon. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up, dude. It's yeah. been about an hour and a half. It's been awesome. Yeah. So I end with this. 5, 10, 20 year plan. I don't know if you knew this was coming. Yeah. So you watched the podcast. So uh, five years from now, what's your life looking like? What do you think? Well, five year. I'm looking to go back, go into education. So. Okay. Hopefully. Take the West Beck route. Hopefully uh, before five years, yeah. I have a education teaching job, but we'll say that that's really in the next big goal. Sure. We'll say so that's five year, ten year, ten years in education, but also move family. Maybe we just have two kids. Maybe we decided to have one more, but just moving on with that. Did you get a bachelor's degree? Yes. Okay. Well, you can take the test. That's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. Because you already have a bachelor's degree. If you don't know, that's is that state? Is that a state thing or what is that? Yes. For. Most places, as long as you have a bachelor's and you can pass the praxis in the field you're wanting to teach in, it'll account for it. But each state is different to where you might have yeah. to take another type of praxis or you have to go get a fifth year certification, which would be equivalent to a master's. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 10 year plan. 10 year, just rocking along with family. Maybe I decided to go back to school and get a master's degree. But at that point, rocking along. So we got a, we got a child, a two year old. We got a kid mm-hmm. on the way. Mm-hmm. Number three, we playing on a three or four. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> my philosophy has been: you got two shots to have kids. Uh-huh. First time you got one kid, great. Second time, if you had twins, well, hey, you got three. You maxed out. Good job. Third time, if you shoot for it, now you, you got to possibly have ended up with four or more, and that's that's too much there. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. So what do you think? Well, how many kids do you want? Honestly, there was a point of me when just having Lynn, I was like, you know what? If that's what God wants and we just have the one, I'm I'm happy and I'm content. Three would be my max out to where it's like I could have three be okay and be fine with it, but probably end up being two. Your mind's two to three. I think two to three is a good balance. Yeah. Over three, dude. That's, uh, you know, I think about the attention of the child. We talked about ADHD Mm -hmm. and all that. Are you able, once you have so many children, are you able to give them that attention? Now, you got brothers, sisters, some families have 12, you know, cheaper no. by the dozen, all that. I mean, it's a real thing. Um, but I wor- that's what I would worry about if I had that many children. Like, could I give them the individual attention that they need? I'm not going to say you can't. Right. I agree. But at the same time, I think about it and I'm like, well, how much are you actually able to spread out your attention to all those right. kids? especially if they're all involved in activities, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able, even having two kids, you're not going to be able to make every single activity. That's mm-hmm. okay. That's fine. Be there for the important things. Make sure you know they're there for them. 
or maybe you're at work making sure that your child knows, Hey, I couldn't be there today, but I'm doing this to provide for us. So you can do this. Mm-hmm. You have to find that family work life balance, but there's a certain point where I'm like, after so long, well, how much did you miss out on these other kids? And they recognize that and they're upset about it. Yeah. And how much that affected them because, well, you didn't, you never came to my stuff, but you were always at Jimmy's stuff. Mm-hmm. Dad was always there, but mom wasn't or vice versa. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Anyway, I feel like that kind of <laughs> took a sad turn. 20 years, uh, 20 year plan. Where do you think you're going to, how old will you be then? 20 years, I'll be 48. 48, 48 years old. 48. Knocking on 50. What, what do you think the plan's looking like? That point, 20 years. I guess at that point, kids be out of the house. Maybe, I'll say maybe at 10 years, we've decided to move to a bigger house and not just our first home. Mm-hmm. We've also kind of decided, you know, if we're here, that's fine. But we do want to eventually build. So 10 year, maybe we've built a home somewhere. Yeah. 20 years, maybe we're going and seeing our kids. Maybe kid. interest rates will be better by that point. We'll see. That was the biggest <laughs> thing. Got right on the edge where it's like, we got the good interest rate. We're keeping it here. Yeah. But it's yeah. the big thing of like, you know, maybe in 20 years, Lennon will be 22. Maybe I'm getting to see her graduate college. Maybe, hopefully, I'm getting to see my kids. They got, they went on if they decide to do band, get to see them in Southerners or see them in Auburn's band or something like that. Mm-hmm. Getting to see my kids grow and to become young adults and doing the steps to achieve their dreams. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, Tyler, thank you for coming in, dude. Yeah, man. This is awesome. Had an awesome time, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from this episode as far as mental health, family, Mm -hmm. and all that, man. I appreciate you. Guys, that is it. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the podcast, The Betterment, with Dr. Jared Nelson. We are on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. You're going to get every single one of my notifications, the shorts, the videos, everything I post during the week sent directly to you. We're on every single audio podcast streaming service, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us that five-star rating because we give five-star service. Thanks for watching. Until the next one, peace. Peace.